Welcome to No Baller. My name is Chris Rawl, and thank you for joining me. On today's show, I'm going to be talking about Nikola Jokic and his MVP candidacy. I'm going to be talking about identifying and celebrating uniqueness within the world of sports. I'm going to be talking about why small market teams like the Jazz and the Nuggets are attached at the hip. And last but not least, I'm going to be talking about refusing the old means of measurement. All this and much more on the other side of an ad from our presenting sponsor, Traeger Grills. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. I came across an article about two days ago from Sirat Sohi, who writes for Yahoo Sports. She wrote a very interesting and in-depth article about... Nikola Jokic and his MVP candidacy. And I'm going to start today's episode and this entire discussion with some words from her. A conversation about the MVP award is a conversation about dependency, about who carries the largest burden. So it would be easy to fixate on the fact that Nikola Jokic leads the NBA in touches, elbow touches, that he's second in assists, third in post-ups, fifth in screen set, and that the greatest passing big man of all time is also a dribbling triple-double with touch that just leaves him a stone's throw from the 50-40-90 shooting mark. End quote. If you've seen Nikola Jokic, he does not look like a traditional MVP candidate or really an NBA player in general. He's very big, uh, not muscly nor defined, kind of oafish in his mannerisms and how he moves about the court and yet we have arrived at a point where he is a minus 500 favorite depending upon where you book at somewhere within that number as an mvp favorite so how did we get here how, how are we looking at a guy who while he has a lot of traditional things about his game that are good you know the the passing most notably probably the best passing big man of all time how did we arrive at a place where this is the MVP favorite and somebody who we are celebrating. So I'm going to start with a simple idea, identifying and celebrating uniqueness, something that I value a lot and something that is a push and pull within the world of sports because we like uniqueness to a certain extent. And once it passes that point, it makes a lot of people uh, kind of wishy-washy maybe. And they go, I don't know if this is for me. This is kind of outside of the traditional norms. When we apply it to an NBA conversation, this guy doesn't really align with how I view the very best NBA players. They're tall, they're strong, they're fast, they're incredibly athletic. All of that jumps off the screen to me. I don't even need to see them shoot a basketball or pass it to know that this person is good at basketball. And yet Nikola Jokic comes around and other players in a similar vein who I'll get to later in this episode. And they don't jump off the screen immediately. And yet the more you watch him, and especially in a season like this with Nikola Jokic, the more you watch him, you go, has this been the best player in the NBA regular season? A strange aspect of sports is this push and pull that I talked about. When people go and think outside the box, whether that's within building a team, you know, how you evaluate talent, uh, how you implement coaching strategies, 
where and how you find value, all those kinds of things that go into roster construction and putting a team on a field or on a court. When people think outside the box within that realm, it's usually met with resistance, which is funny because in most other areas of life, thinking outside the box is valued. I hear it time and again within the business world. Oh, this guy, he thinks outside the box. It's a great value to our company because that's not, we, we don't want a bunch of yes men. We don't want a bunch of sheep running over the cliff's edge together. We want people who are capable of independent thought, who can add value to our company because they are willing to engage with, hmm, I have a brain and I'm willing to use it, okay? Jokic represents uh, what I hope is a shift. Identifying and celebrating uniqueness really coming into play within the world of sports. We've had little blips in the past. One notable one that comes to mind is I stare across this room at Charles Barkley trying to defend John Stockton's three in the 97 Western Conference Finals is Charles Barkley himself, the round mound of the rebound. He was super cool because in an era where you would really clearly define what, I'll say this with air quotes, a good basketball player was, this weird bowling ball of a man who did not match up with somebody who should be able to dunk on everybody and grab everybody rebound, he, he kind of defied his body type and the style of play at the time to be a really unique player who ended up winning the MVP in 1993. And that was cool, but that was kind of a blip. We haven't really seen a lot of that since. You fall back into the traditional norms that people are comfortable with. This is a good basketball player. Uh, I get that person's good, but it might be a little bit harder to decipher for a lot of people. And so we will gravitate towards the players that we can easily comprehend are good. We will see that with LeBron. We'll see that with Kevin Durant. We'll see that with Kobe Bryant. All the people that you can watch for 10 seconds and show to anybody who doesn't watch basketball and they go, that guy seems like he's good at basketball. So I'm gonna come back to identifying and celebrating uniqueness because I think this is a very important conversation and it should be intertwined with everything that we do when we watch sports. Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. That's who I've been talking about so far. And yet I live in Utah, which has a, a very good basketball team in their own right, the Utah Jazz, which in a weird roundabout way for me are incredibly attached to the hip, which I'm going to talk about and explore because I think it's an interesting idea and it's interesting to watch the success of somebody like Nikola Jokic and watch him be identified and celebrate, celebrated as a very good basketball player because it makes me actually kind of hopeful for the Jazz, who are also a good team, who also have one very unique player and other unique players in their own right and maybe don't get the necessary publicity that I feel like they deserve. So how these teams are built. This is, you're never going to be more attached to the hip than when you are a small market team trying to stay afloat in a league that caters toward big markets. That's just the way of the NBA. We can weep and gnash our teeth as much as we want. And sometimes it feels like that's all that I want to do because it's very unfair. And yet at the same time, you know the parameters for how the NBA works. And so if you're a small market, you know, there is only one way that I can build a team that is good. It starts with identifying value in the draft. Nikola Jokic, the 41st pick in 2014. You're drafting a probable MVP in the second round. That is about as valuable as you can possibly find in a pick. You go down the list of the Nuggets, 
and and you see, you know, probably their second best player right now is Jamal Murray. He's out with an injury, but he's not picked second overall. He's in the teens, and he's turned into an incredible NBA player. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., an up-and-coming star on that same roster. Out of the draft, same thing. They identified value in his draft slot. They said, this guy could be a freaking star. Like, he's huge. He's got some injury risk. But we're willing to take chances because we want to identify the value that, that we have to in order to build a good team. We don't have the luxury of going and signing LeBron in free agency. We don't have the luxury of going and saying, Kevin Durant, come here. Bring Kyrie Irvin. We'll trade for James Harden. They, these teams can't do that. It's, it's not possible in the way that the NBA is constructed. So I look at the Nuggets. We can call them their alter ego, but, but they're, they're brothers in arms. And I look at the same way that value is identified. I look at Rudy Gobert. Very, very unique basketball player in his own right. Who's drafted 27th in 2013. Strangely enough, he's drafted by the Denver Nuggets and then traded to the Utah Jazz. And Gobert, for me, is in this same discussion as Jokic. I don't want to compare, compare them at all as players because they're two very different entities. They go about their business in very different ways. But they represent the same idea that I'm talking about of identifying and celebrating uniqueness. I had a big episode about Rudy Gobert uh, a week or so ago where I, I went through a lot of defensive metrics and numbers and by on-court value, what that guy provides is as unique and is as impactful is anything you're going to see from these notable offensive superstars, like a Jokic, who, who we can clearly identify and say, this guy is awesome and he should be the MVP. And so I see the ball rolling for Jokic, and I look at Gobert, and I go, okay, this is actually making me optimistic that the more time goes on and the more that both of these people's careers play out, the better fans and media will be able to look at a player like Rudy Gobert, who was drafted late and who had a lot of, uh, of stepping stones that he had to go over in order to turn into first a passable NBA player and then a good NBA player and then the best and most valuable defensive player in basketball. It makes me optimistic that we'll be able to better comprehend something like that moving forward and better celebrate something like that moving forward. Donovan Mitchell, another player on the Jazz, strangely enough, also drafted by the Denver Nuggets and then traded to the Utah Jazz. Picked outside the top 10, he's turned into a star in his own right, much as Jamal Murray has for the Nuggets. And the Jazz have to build a team much like the Nuggets. They have to find value in the draft, whether that was Gordon Hayward in the past, whether that was Carl Malone or Stockton, if you want to go really far back in time, they don't have the luxury of signing these big name free agents and snapping their fingers and having a fantastic team created out of thin air, like the Boston Celtics did with the big three, or all of these big markets team have done over the course of time. This, this exercise in two team building, when it comes to the Nuggets and the Jazz, they are built nearly identically. They have different strengths and weaknesses, but the way that these teams have been put together is nearly identical, right? And so when I, when I talk about the Nuggets and I talk about them doing well, like that's a feather in the cap for the Jazz and vice versa. I believe that. It's strange to say because they're actually kind of rivals. But when you see a team building in a small market and have success, it gives other small market teams hope. And part of the hardest part of this building process is the faith that goes into it. You have to believe that whatever you are doing is going to be successful. 
And that's a lot easier to do when you're a big market and you say, we've shown this in the past. We'll snap our fingers and have a team. We can sign whoever we want. We can lure whoever we want to our team. And small markets, that aspect of faith is a lot harder to maintain when you go through a five-year spell where you're not playing as good. And you don't have a lot of, uh, of, of foundational pieces in place that people will look at and say, this gives me hope as a fan. This gives me hope as a front office that we are going to be first a competitive team and second within a championship window in the next few years. And so the Nuggets, who drafted the three players I mentioned, not in high draft slots, Michael Porter, Nikola Jokic, and Jamal Murray. And then they supplement them with a trade or a, a one-off signing in free agency. For them, uh, it's Aaron Gordon coming to that team in this trade deadline. And for the Jazz, they build same way in the draft. They grab Mitchell. They grab Gobert. There's your foundational star pieces. And they supplement them. They sign Boyan Bogdanovich, who's not an A-list free agent, but that's a big get for a team like the Jazz, a quality NBA player who you were able to say, we have foundational pieces in place. Come join us and we can be greater together. And then they trade for Mike Conley. And you're building up a foundation that is sustainable and hopefully is opening a championship window. And both of these teams have to look at one another and in a weird part of their psyche, go, mm, them having success is good for us because it proves that the faith in our own system is justified because we're seeing it work with us. We're seeing it work with at least one other team. We're mirror images of one another in how we are built. And so this attachment at the hip, it's kind of this mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, if we play in the playoffs like they did last year, it's going to be a big knockdown drag out affair. But to know that somebody else is building in a similar manner and having success, that's a big boost for a small market team. I mentioned last year's playoff series, the notable Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray flamethrower show that was incredible theater to watch. The Jazz go up 3-1 in the series. They're missing Bogdanovich for it. I didn't have a lot of hope for them in the series. And yet Mitchell goes out of his mind. The Jazz are doing some Jazz things. Snyder's coaching his ass off. And I'm going... This is great. Like the Jazz are going to win the series. They're up 3-1. Mitchell's, is he taking the next step? What does this mean for his career going forward? All these questions. Then Murray comes back and they're trading 50-point games. And it's just awesome to watch. And it seems very fitting to me that based on all these things I'm discussing, how they, they're kind of mirror images of one another and they're coming from the same place, that this series comes down to Game 7, comes down to the final shot of Game 7. And what decides this entire series is Mike Conley getting a three-pointer that would win the game and win the series. And it rattles in, and it looks like it's going down. And Donovan Mitchell's getting ready to celebrate. He's holding his arms out, and the ball pops out. The Nuggets win, and the rest is history. I look back on that playoff series, and at the time, I'm bummed out for the Jazz because I want them to win. But in retrospect, I go, hmm. This is, uh, this is categorized in the hopeful category because you're the same team as Denver, a team that everybody was celebrating at the end of the playoffs. They went and they beat the Clippers. They come back from 3-1. They completely submarine the Clippers' season and team chemistry. And then they play a, a hard-fought five-game series against the Lakers where they held their own and they looked like a team that with a few more additions this year, Aaron Gordon and 
Jamal Murray not being injured, they look like a team that, yeah, you could win a championship with. And we were all cognizant of that fact with Denver because we saw it play out last year in the playoffs. And yet I look at the Jazz and I go, they were the same team in that playoff series. There's really no difference between the two. The difference is fate was not on the side of a ball that rattled in and out. That's what a series boils down to most of the time. And so that gives me hope because I go, well, yeah, the Jazz, they're a lot better this year than they were last year. They're playing a lot better. Bogdanovich is back. He's actually finding a groove within these last few weeks. Um, and this is a team that has built their team just like the Nuggets. And together, I think they're giving hope to all small markets in general that this is sustainable and this is how you can open up a championship window. I want to get back into identifying and celebrating uniqueness and tying all of these themes together that I'm talking about today. So I'm going to go back to Sirat Sohi from Yahoo Sports and read a little bit more about Jokic. What I'd rather talk to you about, though, is how little he does. How quickly he gives the ball up after touching out. How he leads the NBA in passes made without coming close in assist opportunities. That he keeps the ball in his hands for less than half the time is the other players in the top five in assists, while turning it over less. As thinking basketball's Ben Taylor puts it, Jokic generates similar offense to Trey Young and Luka Doncic while holding the ball half as much in a possession, giving everyone else time to touch the ball. His teammates have obliged, whipping the ball back and forth like they're playing volleyball. As a result, despite, no, because, of the fact that Jokic relinquishes the ball so readily, the Nuggets are built in his image, end quote. There's a poem from Donica Kelly. It's called Out West. And there's two lines in it that I want to read. Refuse the old beans of measurement. Rely instead on the thrumming wilderness of self. Both lines, fantastic. And I want to concentrate on the first one in context of today's discussion. Refuse the old means of measurement. Something that I am passionate about greatly. I love independent thought. I love questioning the status quo. It's just how my mind works. It's how my personality is. And it's something I enjoy doing. Why is this how it is? Just because it's always been that way, that's how it's always going to be. A lot of the themes that I've incorporated over the course of No Baller and a lot of themes that I'll continue to incorporate because that's how my mind works. That's how I explore subjects that I find interesting and information that's at my fingertips. I think about that line, refuse the old means of measurement. And I think about Nikola Jokic. I think about Rudy Gobert. I think about this small market building exercise that we're going through with the Nuggets, with the Jazz. How it makes me hopeful for that being a sustainable model. That you don't have to sit and, and cry and rage against the machine because you're in a small market and because you have actual disadvantages in how you build your roster compared to big market teams. You're smart, and if you identify value in, in various ways, if you have shrewd signings and shrewd coaching and all the things that both these teams have shown in spades, you can build a team that is fun to watch, that is good, uh, that hopefully has a reasonable championship window. It makes me hopeful that hearing all of this hullabaloo around Jokic, and rightfully so, that we're identifying and celebrating a dude who does not check the traditional boxes that we look at in an NBA superstar. 
the, the big weird oaf who has kind of taken over the NBA and goes about his business as that last paragraph that I read to you from Sirat shows, he goes about his business in a very unique way. It's a pass before a pass, which in the past we would never talk about. We would never even understand what that meant. Uh, he's creating offense at a rate that Luca and Trey Young create. Two people who have the ball in their hands literally the entire game on offense. And he's doing it in a way that is so much different from those two people. And yet we're looking at it and go, I recognize that. And that guy should be the MVP. That makes me hopeful. Because I look at Rudy Gobert and I think similar thoughts. And I've always kind of raged against the machine when it comes to him as a specific player. I've fought many battles over the years where I go, look, I get it. The dude on offense will have hands of stone at time when he's rolling to the basket and he's got to catch a, a pocket pass and try to dunk it and he just fumbles it out of bounds. I get it. He has hands of stone at times when he's trying to shoot free throws. I get it. But his value on the defensive end is so immense and at times immeasurable. And I think we sweep a lot of that under the rug at the expense of these flaws that we can immediately pick out when we watch him. Refuse the old means of measurement. That's what I do when it comes to Gobert, when it comes to Jokic. That's what I love about sports. It provides the opportunity to learn from the past, to think differently in the future. Um, and last but not least, this entire discussion, it makes you very hopeful that if you're a fan of a small market team, like the Nuggets, like the Jazz, if you're a fan of Jokic or Gobert, uh, it makes you very hopeful that... Throughout this entire process, throughout the celebrating and identifying of uniqueness, throughout these team building things that I've talked about, throughout refusing the old means of measurement, it makes you very hopeful because they're proving in present day that there's a clear path, albeit a lot harder one than other teams have to go through, to sustainability and to championship contention. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.